1: yes i am let's do it then all right i see this post by david that we'll get to here in a minute as well we talked about that last night but marcus freeman is now two and three as a head coach so my question is which milestone number will freeman get to first in his career 30 wins or 12 losses
2: this you know i'm crazy about the numbers so i was running a lot of different scenarios in my head looking at this and what i came up to is you know that's a two and a half multiplier meaning that you know 12 is two and a half to get to 30 and so and i started looking at okay how does that translate to records he could go eight and four these first three seasons assuming you know he coaches three seasons and he would be at 12 losses and 24 wins. Okay. Then you step it up to a nine and three average, 27 wins and nine losses. And so you're kind of in that range of he's got to win eight to nine to ten per year and lose probably no more than four. And he's already got two this year, and it's the first year, and he's got a couple of hard games left. Um, I'm unfortunately gonna have to say that it, it's gonna be close, but. Oh man, <laughs> this is I uh, I think he's gonna get I think he's gonna get to 30 wins by like one game. Like it's gonna be <laughs> very close. And the I think it's gonna come down to like if he wins this game, he's at 30. And if he does it, if he loses, he's at twelve, but at like twenty nine wins. Like it's gonna be right on the dot close.
1: So you're telling me that I picked the numbers correctly, <laughs> yeah, is what you you're did. saying. You I did, made it bud. hard. I
2: think after this year, you know, he's got, I I think this year ends somewhere around eight and four, nine and four. And so those next two years, I think he's got, you know, uh, he's got the foundation set. He's, we know about these good recruiting classes. I think that this will be his worst year and the rest are better. And so this year is, you know, kind of what I just said, eight and four, nine and four. Then I think he just barely gets it, but that's where I'm at
1: 30, just barely like by a nose hair. So here is the history of this question. Rutgers head coach Greg Schiano came into this season with a career record of 76 and 81, and I heard this on some national show that he's got a 76 and 81 record. And the question they asked is, does Schiano get to 100 wins or 100 losses first? And I was like, ooh, that's an interesting little question. <laughs> there. And I mean, he's at Rutgers, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And by the way, Rutgers is three and one this season. So he is now 79 and 82 for his career. So, you know, he's actually, you know, he's getting closer to 500, but he's got Ohio state coming up this weekend. But anyway, so I hear that question and then I spun it forward to Marcus Freeman, who at the time that I heard this question, because this was coming into the season, he only had Fiesta Bowl under his belt. And so I'm starting to think about, okay, where do I set the numbers for Freeman? And, you know, I'm I'm kind of all over the place with them because at that point, everyone is still pie in the sky and, you know, the sky is the limit for Marcus Freeman. He's going to come in and, you know, maybe they lose to Ohio State, but they're going to steamroll through this season and and be in playoff contention. And obviously, you know, it was time to pump the brakes on that pretty quickly, but so, you know, I had actually set the win total pretty high. Like, I think 45 was my starting point coming in through the season. And then, you know, again, it's like you lose a couple games, and I think you have to adjust it a little bit. And, you know, they're, they're 0-2, obviously. But now they've won their last two, and it seemed like kind of a good time to bring it back up. So as to my answer, if my math is correct <laughs> – 30 wins in 42 tries, that's a 741 winning percentage, right? Like 71%, 714, basically. Like, you compare that, I think Brian Kelly has, like, a 740 winning percentage. Nick Saban is, like, an outrageous 80%, 800. And, you know, you kind of went through it. You know, like, if, if they're around nine wins, you know, going nine and three, taking out the bowl games, you know, like, if they go 9 and 3 the next couple of years if they're able to to be kind of in that 8-9 win range this season he'd be around 27 and 10 you know and again it's like they they're, they're going to be pretty close and you know let's say he goes 2 and 1 in the bowl games and then where are you i think you said this 29 and 11 you know so it's like <laughs> it's going
2: to be right there
1: <laughs> that's exactly right it it should be right there and that's saying that he has three average seasons but like you said the recruiting is getting better. You're going to, you know, continue to see, you know, more, you know, you know, bigger caliber recruits and athletes and stuff coming in. So I am going to say thirty wins as well. I think that uh, you know that's that's kind of it, it, I I don't think it's even overly optimistic. I think it's going to be really close, but I think that that he ends up getting there before the twelve losses.
2: I'll even go so far to say if they beat USC and Clemson this year, I will 100% say he gets to 30.
1: If they beat Clemson? Okay. yeah, And because USC. Then, yeah. And yeah. USD. Oh, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Because that obviously is going to swing things. Uh, and then, you know, Shaitan says uh, 45 would be wonderful, but too optimistic. And again, that was the number coming into the season before they had ever, you know, played <laughs> another game. And, you know, I, I was I was obviously kind of sitting on it to sort of, see how things went, and then had to make an adjustment. Apparently,
2: Derek thinks that they are just going to rip off. We are in ga- the two-game. 20- it's not even 30- going to be close. Yeah, the 30-game <laughs> win streak has started. And we're two games in, only 28 more to go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, I want to know Drunk Vigo's
1: opinion. Vigo then, says drinking the Kool-Aid again, bro. So where are you? Are, are you saying 12 losses? Is that where it is? Is that where it is, Vigo? We'll see. I don't know. It'll pop up.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: So we had some, uh, some comments about the question we brought up last night about JD Bertrand. David says if Marcus Freeman doesn't appeal, JD's targeting call it's a major mistake. Sends the message that he may not have the, have the players' backs as much as he leads us to believe. <laughs> uh, do you think that he needs to appeal this? You know, to kind of show that he does have the players' back in all this, Jess? Or 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 do you? What do you think? I mean, we we we're both in agreement that it it was that what happened with J D. Bertrand did not warrant targeting and ejection. So what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean we kind of I kind of lightly touched on this a little bit yesterday. I didn't like Freeman initially coming out in his press conference saying that, you know, it was JD's fault and it was targeting. It's like you haven't seen it yet. Most coaches say I got to look at the film or we'll look at that in the film, you know, that kind of situation. And so I I thought that it was yeah i didn't like it i didn't like that he didn't just you know take his players back i don't think you have to blatantly be like oh you don't have to take either side you know you don't have to say oh definitely it wasn't targeting or it wasn't but i wouldn't say that it definitely was at what without saying okay i'm gonna go take take a look back and we'll talk about it and kind of sit down with him and you know see what we can do to kind of further tweak things so yeah i definitely think it, it kind of shows uh, and not that he doesn't trust or believe in his players, but it can come off at, like that in this situation if this if this is how you know it plays out and, and continues to be handled.
1: I just think that it's close enough that, you know, again, like Marcus Freeman made the comments that he made that it was targeting without being able to sit down and watch the film. If he sat down and watched it, I think that it's close enough that it is worth appealing, especially if you know this is one of your starting linebackers. It is worth a shot. To an appeal, it's not like you get one appeal and you're never allowed to appeal these things again. You know, it's not like a replay challenge or something. You have nothing to lose by appealing this. Now you can still do the things that he was talking about. Work with J.D. Bertrand if you think that he needs to have better tackling form and you know all this different stuff so that he's not putting himself putting himself into those situations. You know, the the Cal targeting was much more. Clear, you know, oh, he, yeah. he, he launched stupid. himself and yeah, he launched himself. The ball was pat, you know, the whole thing that was that was a lot different than this one. Stymie says, Instead of an appeal, I'd rather see a concerted effort in the offseason to change/slash update the rule. No ejection if no malicious content, uh, intent. And I've said this all along: I think that the targeting rule in college is stupid, it is somewhat well intended because. The idea behind it is if you eject a player, then you are, you know, you're trying to retrain him, you know, kind of, uh, you know, again, what Marcus Freeman was talking about, you're trying to get him to change the way he's doing things. So he's not going to do it again. It's very rare that you see a player two weeks in a row get ejected, you know, for, for targeting for the same thing. But I've always said the way I'd like to see the rule changed is if you get flagged for targeting first time, it's just a personal foul. If you get flagged a second time in the same game, then it's an ejection. No matter what, yeah, no matter what, you know, intent, whatever. If they determine it's targeting, then it's an ejection. I just, I, I don't think that, I don't, I don't think that ejecting a player on the first instance is is warranted.
2: Yeah, and I think every targeting case should be reviewed after every game to decide if if uh, ejection was warranted. Um, And I think I'm okay with if, you know, having to leave the game or whatever, uh, if that's the route they decide to go. But I think that if uh, every targeting call like that should be sat down and looked at after the game as well to determine if the suspension needs to carry into the next game or if that just the, you know, however much time that they had to miss in in the current game was was enough. So that's if they're going to stick with this rule, I think that that's the amendment that I would have to see.
1: Fill in the blank. It's blank that former Notre Dame cornerback Sean Crawford tweeted this the other day, quote, 12-team playoff is really unnecessary, unquote. Now, there's uh, no context to this, but what do you think, Jess? <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely true. I think that the 12-team
2: 12, 12 format uh, is just another, honestly, money grab because it's just going to create more games and more watched. you know, this and that. And I'm on board with, we're just going to see, you know, some crappy matchups in the first round, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see, you know, a Cinderella here or there, but I really don't think that it's going to happen to me. uh, The perfect number was eight, four, and then, you know, your championship game after that. So I think 12 is too many. I would have preferred eight. Um, I definitely think that we needed more than four, but I think 12 is too many. So I I absolutely agree that it's um, completely unnecessary to have a 12 team playoff.
1: Now again, no context, but if you apply it to Notre Dame, you know, one to what you were talking about that you're not going to get good matchups. I think you'll actually get better matchups in the first round than you're going to get, you know, than what you have right now when you look at at these, you know, every year there's at least one lopsided game in the college football playoff. It's not just when Notre Dame is involved, you, you know. So, I think you're going to get better Uh, Matchups in the playoffs—you're going to get more teams involved, which I think is good for the sport. You know, you're not just going to have the same teams over and over again with this four-team pool. And from Notre Dame's perspective, you know, this is this is very good for Notre Dame. A 12-team format is very good for Notre Dame. It's this is what's going to let them. This is what's going to allow them to not have to join the Big Ten. You know, to stay independent going forward, the Big Ten or any other. Conference And like, if you look at it for this year, there's actually a scenario where Notre Dame could find itself back, you know, if there was a 12 team format this year where they could find themselves in the playoff picture, you know, if they run the table, because just on its face, right, you know, and you might kind of scoff at that, you know, well, the way they've played and this and that. Well, if they don't lose to Marshall, they're a top 10 team still right now or at the very worst sitting there at 11 or 12 and they're in the playoff mix right now you know so there's there's something still to play for if if there was a 12 team playoff format so i don't mind it i would like it good thing that we can have differing opinions that's why we do this right <laughs> you're allowed to have yours i'm allowed to have mine fill in the blank It's blank that the ACC has reportedly suspended the side judge. You flagged Cal for being offside on that field goal attempt against Notre Dame. The ACC apologized to Cal and admitted it was a bad call. Uh, It's unfortunate, but it's
2: appropriate. Uh, It's unfortunate because it happened to Cal, and I think the worst thing you want to hear afterwards is, hey, we messed up, we know we messed up, but you can't go back and change anything. So I think that kind of festers uh even more and i think the the fact that you know it's it's unfortunate because it happens to to everyone you know there was last night i hate to be you know bring up the cowboys so much but their wide receiver got <laughs> tackled in will. the end zone and no flag was thrown but i still had to live through that you know that's a potential you know first and ten at the one yard line and they're just going to punch the ball four straight times and behind their offensive line so and another really, receiver
1: gets held at the line of scrimmage by two defenders and no call.
2: Right. And so I think that it's, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it was the appropriate call. Like, there wasn't an offside. So uh, to me, it just sucks. And as a Cal fan, I would hate to hear a player, coach, like, that was obviously seven points put on the board. Or, sorry, a four-point swing at most and maybe a seven-point swing because with group, you don't even know if he's going to make the field goals.
1: Yeah. It's appropriate that you started talking about the Giants game because Michael started chiming in about <laughs> saying that it was it's hypocritical that they apologized for uh, the call that uh, went against um, Cal. Uh, now, now he says the offensive PI at the end of the first half. Was You're ridiculous. talking about where the, the guy
2: who jumped actively jumped into the Cowboys DB.
1: But the point is, <laughs> I, I I think he makes a good point. Because, you know, and it, and it really goes back to your point, because whether it's flagging Cal for being offside on that play, there were obviously other missed calls in that game. They didn't just go in Notre Dame's favor, you know, and, and I think you can say that in any game. There are always going to be missed calls. So, you know, the ACC, you know, they, they ate it, they apologized to Cal, whatever, doesn't matter. It's not like they're going to go back and change the result of the game after the fact but they're eating it out off, off this, you know, are they going to apologize to Notre Dame for not reviewing those two past plays that at least one of them <laughs> should have been incomplete? No, they're not going to apologize to Notre Dame for that. So I don't know why you bother apologizing. Just, just be, you know, it's, you, you're, you're just picking where you, where you want to, you know, make the acknowledgement. I don't so understand. Are you, know. you, I, this is a question because this has come up
2: a lot uh in kind of what, What happened with the Chris Jones penalty against the Colts the other night? I think just like MLB or yeah MLB umpires, referees should be held to not question, but what their logic was sometimes like there should be a rationale for why they made calls, especially calls that are altering game changing calls like that. um, In my opinion, I don't think you necessarily need to apologize or maybe, you know, say that you were wrong but i would like to under, understand the rationale in some instances i guess no i if agree that makes sense
1: i agree i i i think that when you get some of these controversial calls that an official should be made to answer questions and i know that that there are instances where there's a designated you know member of the media you know like pool reporter <laughs> it, it's like a one on one thing. they don't actually have to stand up in front of a press conference but they do from time to time you know, answer questions, but it's not you know with the camera on them and and that kind of stuff like a coach or a player has to do when they make a mistake. I you know the officials have impact on the game and they get paid. You know, they're are, are they getting rich? Probably not, but they get paid good money. And these guys all have other jobs as well. And I think that they should be uh, held accountable and made to answer some of these questions, just like the athletes and the coaches have to. Yep. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Fox apparently had a no signs about Urban Meyer policy <laughs> when they were on location for this past uh, Saturday's game at Michigan. It's weak. Capital W-E-A-K.
2: You know, these guys make millions of dollars, okay? They they, they sit out and they get to be at the most gorgeous campuses and, and, and you know, be around the sport of college football every Saturday. Um, and you can't tell me that a little sign is going to hurt anyone's feelings because there's signs about everyone out there. There's signs about coaches, players, you know, you name it. The most random people will just get called out with signs on game day. You never know what's coming. So I think it's weak and it has to be a, a direct, uh, request from urban buyer. And I think it shows his fragileness, um, yeah. as a man, I, I think is, is what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. I mean, they had no problem hiring this guy back. You know, despite the baggage they knew was going to come with him the whole time, you know, that goes back to that bar in Columbus with the girl last year. And I think them playing him in Ann Arbor, that's what it's, you know, they were all worried about it because obviously, you know, all the Michigan fans and his Ohio State connection and all that. And Fox tried to come back and say, well, we don't have a specific policy about no Meyer, you know, Urban Meyer signs and all this stuff, you know, the PR people, but they were confiscating Urban Meyer signs before the show you know they hired a scumbag and they don't want anyone reminding everyone else of that during their own broadcasts on tv so yeah it is what it is if you're gonna if you're gonna bring this kind of guy back you got to live with what comes with it and people are gonna have fun with it And that's really all it is is fun and if urban meyer can't hack it he shouldn't be on tv you know, I think
2: it, it kind of goes to, both think. ways. I bet Urban was like, "Hey, I'm gonna maybe request this in my new contract." And Fox, maybe was like, he did. Hey, that's a good idea, and it helps with our, you know, our picture and our overall product. So it's a win-win for everyone.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, the NFL is replacing the Pro Bowl with what they call the Pro Bowl Games. It's a week-long skills competition that'll culminate with a flag football game. Do you buy it? Or do you sell it? I buy it like 10 times
2: over. I think this is a great idea for the NFL. I think that all major sports teams should get away uh, from, you know, all-star games in general. I think the only one that I actually enjoy is the MLB all-star game, and that one still kind of has, you know, not lackluster, but it's not obviously the most exciting thing uh, 100% of the game. And I think it, it makes the most sense for football if just for the obvious reasons, it's the most physical. It's the highest chance of injury. You know, guys you don't, don't want, want to be there. <laughs> yeah, guys don't want to be there. You don't want a guy, tear your franchise defensive end, tearing his ACL. You know, you saw Sterling Shepherd last night completely tear his ACL in a, a non-contact yeah. injury. So why provide another, uh, you know, opportunity for that kind of stuff to happen? I think it's more fun. You can get more fan involvement, which make in turn would probably increase attractiveness and interest uh for the players so i, I like this I, i'm curious i think that this this is a big moment for them because you can do so many just fun different competitions here like it this is this is i think good for them and i think they need to capitalize on this uh situation that they're about to embark
1: on and you, you know who's gonna be involved in it Omaha productions <laughs> owned by the Mel one Manning. and only Peyton Manning that's right that's right Peyton's got a hand in this, you know, they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to have a role in this. I like it, you know, I, week long. I don't know, but I guess they can boil it down and again, like turn it into a TV show, basically. And I, that this is I, again, this is like something that I've said they should do. The flag football game, I was a little surprised by that they're actually going to play a flag football game at the end of it. It's just I like a glorified this. seven on seven. Yeah, I like the skills competition, though. You know, there's a lot of different stuff you could do. You know, like I would actually like to see an offensive lineman 100 yard dash competition <laughs> for example you know like have them do have them do things that are that are sort of the opposite of what you envision them you know doing well you know the offensive lineman doing that and then have the wide receivers you know put 225 on the bar and and you know like you can do that with everybody but i like it i i think it's going to be cool i'm going to be really curious to see like what the skills competition turns into I think it's going to be a lot better because the Pro Bowl itself which had been around since 1951 but the game itself is just like fewer and fewer people watching all the time and I'm sure the union had something to do with it and they're like look we don't want to risk going out there and getting hurt in a game that doesn't matter so I, I think this is really interesting and and uh, they can make it pretty fun you know like an obstacle course you know do those kind of things, you know like I think there's a lot of different things that they can do with this, so I like it. Best offensive line touchdown celebration. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Or, uh, you know, Quentin Nelson can lead the keg stands out there, for that matter. (laughs) Fill in the blank on this next one. C.D. Lamb talked about this earlier, dropped what would have been at least a 50-yard pass last night against the Giants. He was smiling and tapping himself on the chest, you know, kind of saying, "It's on me," you know, that kind of thing after the play. It's blank when you see players smiling after those kind of plays.
2: I don't remember if I texted you my feelings about this after uh, after it happened. I don't think night. you did. I don't think I must did. have been too caught up with the enrage that I had <laughs> in the moment. Just I, you know, I told you I I hosted some people till about halftime last night. Just ask the people in the room. how many F-bombs I dropped when I saw him (laughs) smiling. That was just so ridiculous. Like I understand the tapping yourself on the chest. Okay. Yeah. But like the smiling and kind of like laughing, like, dude, you just dropped a very important pass in which, you know, this offense doesn't hit big pass plays. It's not designed to hit big pass plays at the moment. And for you to just drop the ball and, 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 you know, Oh, and then smile about it. I was so infuriated. But Michael Hahn brings up a good point. It, it seemed to really get to him because after the Giants scored, it, it motivated was a him. He lamb drive and he caught
1: just about
2: everything. So I don't know if that was the fire that he needed because he hasn't been great this season, in all honesty. I don't no, you know. He hasn't. He this hasn't. was that, that
1: drop. My fantasy kind of football the, team knows it too.
2: <laughs> was the cherry <laughs> on top. So. I uh, I think it, it it did fire him up, and I joked I joked with my friends and said I sent him a text at halftime and said Noah Brown was better, or you know he needs to step it up because Noah Brown had been playing better than C D Lamb. So uh, I, I I absolutely hate when players smile or laugh after they make a big mistake. I think it's it's absolutely crazy and it drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean it's annoying to see you know like when you see a player smile like that, but I get you know again it's like he's a professional athlete and what's he gonna do you know like. Literally beat himself up and kill himself on the field because he dropped a ball. I think that's almost all you can do sometimes. is just smile and, and put it on. Like Michael said, he made up for it later. If he hadn't made up for it later, I think this would be a bigger issue. Because oh, yeah. I, I saw Ed Werder you know, tweeted about the fact that he was smiling after the fact. It definitely drives you nuts, though. Like when you, you know, a big play like that, and it's an easy catch. It's just like a little, it's like a little alligator or you know, like pterodactyl arms. Or whatever. It's just like catch the ball. It literally hit him right in the hands, in stride. It you know you couldn't have thrown a much better pass, especially if your name is Cooper Rush. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's it's very annoying to see them smile like that, you know. But you know, like we you, fans obviously get a lot more invested, I think. But he did make up for it later, you know, both with the physical um, catch and run that he had. That that it better be on angry runs on good morning football coming up tomorrow. And also with that one handed touchdown catch that he made on the next on the next Isn't it play.
2: insane that he could drop that pass and go on to just make that insanely ridiculous one hand uh, It just catch?
1: It it but it, it shows you there's a lack of focus. It's just you concentration. Know? Yeah, that's exactly it. If if you can make that kind of spectacular play, you've got to be able to make those routine plays concentration focus that's all it is
2: i like the uh we're getting the brian ny uh clemson wake forest espn special yes uh right now we're getting we're getting getting in the chat
1: we're getting Aaron judge cut-ins in the chat at least we don't listen
2: uh... to it though we're just seeing (laughs) the the count flash up so i guess
1: i am grateful that this is
2: way less invasive but i still know what's going on right
1: so speaking of that game last night, a New York Giants fan painted his bald head in the fashion of a Giants helmet for last night's game. He was in the stands, and you could see him there. And they kept cutting over to him. His whole head, including his face, was painted blue, and then he had a red stripe from his chin, you know, right down the middle to the back of his head, and he had the uh, the old school NY on the side. My question is: Have you ever thought about painting your face when you go to a game?
2: (laughs) I've never ever thought about going full face paint. I'm okay with putting a you know maybe painting on a little shamrock here, putting a little you know leprechaun here. That's fine. But when we're talking whole face, like okay, I'll I'll be the first one to admit it. I've done you know the little face mask before with my girlfriend, where you you put all the stuff on and then you let it dry and you peel Uh it off. That, to me, is very similar in the fact, and I hate it. It's so itchy. It's uncomfortable. You feel like you are you can't touch your face, like all of it. So there's no chance I would do it. And I thought there was a couple funny things uh, when I saw it that kind of popped up that made me chuggle. The first one was, you know, I saw someone tweet, think about driving home after this game. It's like 12 <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and you look over next to you at the stoplight, and you see this crazy man with their face painted like what do you what do you to think what do you to expect and then the second one was my good friend off of arrested development uh I thought of that one as well where he has his entire face uh painted blue so there He's was a the couple, blue man yeah so there is a couple good tra- like uh chuckles I got out of this situation but there's no way that I would be doing that uh ever to be honest with you
1: <laughs> there's an episode of Seinfeld that's actually titled the face painter I don't know if you remember that one. It's David Putty, Elaine's boyfriend Putty, and uh, they're going to a New Jersey Devils game. And he paints his face, and he's, you know, gotta support the team. And uh, that whole thing. There was a whole episode dedicated to it. Drunk Vigo
2: knows it too. I guess I think you guys could be bros.
1: Oh, there he is. There he is. Drunk Vigo is in on it. Putty painted (laughs) his face in Seinfeld. That's exactly. Exactly, exactly right. I've never done that. The closest thing I have ever come is uh, way back when uh, a friend of mine and I, for Halloween, we uh, the the uh, the Road Warriors, the old professional wrestlers, the tag team duo Hawk and Animal. We painted our face like we were Hawk and Animal for uh, for Halloween. That's the closest I have ever come, though. So. <laughs> It's just so itchy it. and uncomfortable. That's yeah, because you're right. Cause like you would be feeling it all night, and I would want to be doing yes, this, and, and then all can. of a sudden you're rubbing paint off it, you know, and then you got it on your hands. It's the worst. I know it is the worst. I know. I could not could not even imagine. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for tonight. Vince is gonna be in for the mailbag show tomorrow. Appreciate you as always, Jesse. Repping repping the cowboys, which is good. Final
2: note. I left with a good final note yesterday. Irish shytown. you asked me what the score was going to be. I said 23 to 13. Okay. I'm not a
1: boomer. I'm not a boomer, Vigo. <laughs> Just because I have gray hair, I am not a boomer. Okay, so let's get that straight. All right.
2: <laughs> Couldn't be friends with boomers. That's tough.
1: That's tough on you. I feel like Sean is intentionally avoiding a KISS concert <laughs> story. I've never been to a KISS concert, although I would have liked to, you know, back in the, uh, the heyday. I would have done that. Rock and roll all night. Party every day. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Again, smash that like button if you would on your way out. Subscribe, rate, review, all the great stuff. And uh, Chi Town said, Jesse, I told my father even got the touchdowns right, Zeke
2: yep. and Lamb. That's all I'm gonna say. We got to get going.
1: You were, you were right because what, what did it end up being? 20, <laughs> 23 to 16. I said final score would be 23 to 23, 13, and I said
2: yeah. Zeke and Lamb would score, and both of those things happened. So, yep, I was just shooting from Still. the hip, Irish Chi Town. That just shows you how I'm ready at any <laughs> given time.
1: <laughs> That's right, ready to go. All right, we'll talk to you later, IB Nation Sports Talk. See you guys.